Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. So welcome again, everybody. I'm still finding it hard to believe I've escaped my bedroom. <laughs> my pajamas. I think I've been meditating with you in pajamas in my room for several years now. So the topic today is uh, dukkha and equanimity. Dukkha can be defined as um, suffering, stress, friction, uh, pain, unpleasantness and one of the buddha's core teaching is um i teach suffering and the end of suffering right i teach suffering and the end of suffering and today we want to find out what the heck did he mean by that <laughs> did he mean there's no more suffering if you're a good buddhist that you won't feel suffering no so what is he talking about Right? What did he mean? And how is this landing for you today? So on my way here, well, before I got here, I um, read through my notes, right, that I wrote. And I, I kind of said, you know, the Wendy that I take myself to be my personality. I said, I really understand the four noble truths. The truth of dukkha is the first one, that they're suffering. That's the first noble truth. I get it. I got it. I wrote it down. I wrote it in two pages. You know, I got it. And then I get in the car and I drive about a half a mile and I forgot my computer again. <laughs> I had to rush. I wanted to come early so I could figure out the technology and get settled and forgot the computer, rush back, get the computer, get the water, nearly spilled the water on the computer, uh, get in the car. And uh, then I looked down and the clothes don't match, uh, you know, and uh, there's some stress and friction. I think the Buddha called that dukkha, you know? And the story rolls on, uh, now I'm in a hurry to get here. And I'm um, going down 7th Street and I, in the right-hand lane, I need to get into the left-hand lane so I can turn left to sacred roots from 7th Street. And the people in the left-hand lane, can you believe <laughs> that those people in the left-hand lane did not want to give me room to make the left. Can you imagine that? Like, did they know that there was a me needing to make a left and they were creating my dukkha, you know, and they are the reason for dukkha. And, and after reading two pages of notes, I was completely absorbed in the dukkha. Of, They're not letting me in to make a left and I can't get to sacred roots. <laughs> and that's how fast we get pulled in to the story of suffering and dukkha and stress that quickly, that quickly. And there was a moment where I wanted to um, do something from my early days in New York. I wanted to roll down the window <laughs> and stick my arm out and go yell at them, you know, like, hey, why can't you let me in the lane, right? It's their fault. The world is stressful. It's not my fault. It's these LA drivers that create the dukkha. It's not my dukkha. It's their behavior that creates my dukkha. And uh, this is what Buddhism has to really teach us over and over again. We have to live it day by day by day by day that from the moment we wake up to the moment we go to bed, there's friction because this ego, this me, this little me wants comfort and things to be pleasant. And we want the world to go our way. We want the coffee pot to get the coffee right. And we want our partners to read our mind. 
Um, and we want our friends to say the right things. We want them to call when we want them to call. And the water bill should be a certain amount lower than it is. Um, politics should go very much differently. And, you know, the people that report the politics, they should do it differently. <laughs> Just about everything should be different from my little me, my, my chattering mind wants it different than the way that it is. And it really wants it different and we'll chatter about it all day long. We'll have a little narrative in there. They're right, we're writing a little story or a little book about how the world could be better for this me that I call myself Wendy, right? And yet every day the world lets us know that uh, it's not designed for our comfort and wants and desires, right? And this is the first noble truth. There is suffering. There is suffering. It's here, it's here already. Uh, and no matter what I do, I'm gonna bump up. There's gonna be the friction, right? And that um, second noble truth is, well, you know, there's a way to, to uh, end that suffering. Uh, and I can look at, I can understand and study the way that I cling to what I want, to what the little chatter is saying to me, what my little story is telling me and how much and tightly I cling to it and hold it so tight, right? That's the place that we can have some practice around and have some awakening, some waking up around. Um, Ajahn Chah was a Thai Buddhist master that is the root teacher of many of our contemporary teachers today. And he had a famous line, I think someone was bringing him a gift, maybe it was a glass or a vase. And what did he say? Some of you know this. As someone approached and gave it to him, he said, what? Anybody know? He said, this vase is already broken. It's already broken. Uh, one simple sentence, it's already broken. We don't think like this in the West. As a matter of fact, if it did get broken, we'd be rushing out to Target with a coupon <laughs> to get a new one right <laughs> we don't contemplate right that moment of dukkha that that no matter what we hold dear no matter what we have uh no matter what gifts and and all the sweet things we have our home and our furniture and our children and our family members and all our objects they're impermanent and they're not ours they don't really have a me or an I in it. It's a hard one to grasp, right? It's a hard one to grasp. And that uh, it's impermanent and subject to change and maybe breaks a lot. We lose it. And we don't really see the world very often through this lens. And why don't we see it through this lens? Why? I think a lot of it is uh, living in a consumer society that that all the time is reinforcing to us that newer shinier things will make us feel better improving ourselves will make us feel better those of us who are aging which is all of us <laughs> but some of us have more advanced degrees in it you know um the whole culture will tell you how to hide your aging and change your aging and fight your aging. You can't even age in this society, you know, re in a relaxed way. It's like every day, you know, that somebody is telling you what you can do to change your aging. Uh, and so a consumer society works on the premise that we need to buy and get more to be okay and feel better. And here we are practicing mindfulness in Buddhism. We're really going against the stream. That it's not the objects, but our relationship to them. It's our relationship to the object 
and nothing in our society reinforces that as far as I can see, except the experience of dukkha, right? So um, the lines that came up to me um, when I started contemplating the talk was Leonard Cohn, um, his beautiful song. Uh, and these are some of the lines and, and I'll explain it in a moment. Um, there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's the famous line. And it, and it starts with ring the bells that uh, still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So many of us in our nature, we fight the brokenness and the crack, right? We, we don't want the brokenness. We don't want the crack. We don't want it in ourselves, in our self-image, in the making of an I, me, or mine. We, we fight that and we fight knowing the suffering or the brokenness around us. Are, again, the culture, uh, any little uncomfortableness we're taught to really run from. Um, you know, you go on YouTube now or Apple TV. I don't know how many things are on this phone to be distracted <laughs> from. There are, infinite, there are infinite number of things that I can distract myself from an uncomfortable brokenness, right? Or I, I grab my cup of tea and my snack, or I quickly get busy. But the Buddha really talked about that brokenness, that uncomfortability, that stress, that not getting what I want. That's the crack that the light gets in. He talks about staying with the felt experience without the me or the I without that me or the I, and staying with it as an experience in the body. Uh, and as we stay with it, we're moving from reactivity to equanimity and to more skillful behavior, but the equanimity to be with things as they are, the truth as they are, as it's unfolding, the great gift. It's a beautiful gift of the Buddhist teachings. He's not teaching us we'll never suffer again. He's really teaching us how to live with it skillfully uh, so that we can live in these divine abodes in loving kindness and compassion and uh, equanimity, joy, um, that that crack is the light that gets in. So, um, So a lot of the teachings, um, the suttas have the image of the baby chicken, the egg. And um, it's a great metaphor for us that in a way, like every morning, we're like a baby chick trying to break through the hard shell of dukkha, of ignorance, of the ego. Like we're breaking through to get to that light, to get to... Uh, to see the truth of the way things are. And the way we practice with the noble truths and dukkha is like we're breaking through the shell of ignorance. And we have to keep doing it over and over and over again. And that that doing has light and joy and peace and strength and equanimity. So an example of that um, was um for me was yesterday well every day you can find dukkha and 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 the letting go of clinging every day as a matter of fact we should do that we'll ask people in the room where was your dukkha yesterday and how did you respond to it was there equanimity right where what were there any factors of awakening where there divine abodes you know this is why we practice so yesterday uh there was a lot of dukkha uh, in the form of uh, having uh, some dear old friends visiting 
40 year friendship and um, 40 years of great conversation. And one of the friends is at the um, beginning stage of dementia. And so much dukkha in my head in the story about um, having them over and having that cup of tea, looking for the conversation, having a meal. Uh, how will I manage that? What will happen? How will the hours go by? Oh, this is that. You know, the narrative starts, the story, the eye making and my making starts. And it's understandable. It's human. And no one has to feel guilty for that. This is the way a human being is hardwired. We care, we love, and we, we, we tell a lot of stories, you know? And uh, yes, there was um, these periods during the day of being with this dear, dear friend of 40 years, uh, sitting with the truth of the way things are. Um, this person um, not finding words, having trouble with a sentence, um, me talking, knowing full well that this person isn't maybe understanding fully what is being said. Um, the difficulty sometimes of just sitting wanting to get up and clean something or get something or get more tea, right? And not being with the truth of the way things are. But as the day went on and we spent the day together, there was something else about the truth of the way things are. When, you know, learning again and again and again, to be with the unfolding of life happening, not on my terms, on life's terms, not saying no, not saying yes, well, maybe saying yes, being present without the story, with love, with caring, with heart, and what we got to was this sweet moment of here we are 40 years and we are together. We're here, we're enjoying a meal, we're enjoying a cup of tea, we're enjoying the dog barking and the garden uh, and chit chatting and not always making sense. This is the way things are, to be present without a story, to be fully alive in it, to allow and let other people allow what their crack is. That's where the light gets in. In that moment, that is an end of dukkha. You know, that is a release of dukkha. And um, when my friend, um, at the end of the day said, oh, thank you for a beautiful meal and spending time. And, you know, this person knows full well what's happening, right? And you could see the preciousness of the day, of the connection, of just those little things, a meal, a cup of tea, some laughter, uh, some memory, some things to look at, some needlepoint, you know, or something like this. Just that, just that moment by moment, the heart is full, the story is over. And, uh, we get to let the light in. And these are not easy things. They're not easy. So um, in a mindfulness practice, in Buddhist practice, we um, practice every day over and over and over and over and over uh, because our um, we're like that little chick with the, with the egg 
you know, we have, we, this um, habit mind covers the truth and we're breaking, you know, we're breaking this habit mind covers it and we're breaking. So, um, even in neuroscience, and we could do a little meditation. Um, and I can't explain neuroscience. <laughs> there would be a lot of dukkha in my explaining neuroscience, so I'm not going to. But they can see in neuroscience that um, when we're under stress, there's a tendency of the brain to create a narrative. That's what they call the default network, but there are other networks to create a narrative about a self that's the cause of the stress it's about me and my inadequacy or not being able to or i'm not good enough or i didn't get it right you know and um this attempt at pushing it away making it better getting rid of it right that this comes with stress it comes with anxiety it comes with depression it comes with stress it comes with challenge and that when the brain or the mind tells the story of me, this personal story about my inadequacy and I'm wrong and it was my fault and I didn't do it right and I can't do it and I don't get it and you know, right? Um, that's when there's stress in the body. You see, that's when the body gets the stress and you can feel it. You could feel that stress where there's that thought I didn't handle it right and I'm wrong and I didn't do it good enough or, you know, or the judgment is out. They shouldn't have said that. They shouldn't have acted that way. Why did they, you know, you can feel if you're aware of the body, you could feel the muscle tension and change in the body. So, um, one of the things that, um, we can do literally to practice equanimity is to practice the relationship in the unfolding moment to your dukkha, right? And to contemplate the equanimity. <laughs> what a thought, <laughs> you know? And we'll, we'll do this in a couple, for a couple of moments, play along and uh, see if you can remember a moment of dukkha. Now, uh, don't do a big one. Um, do a small one. Like for me, maybe um, getting into the left lane on 7th Street, you know, like on that level, you know, maybe not um, the betrayal of my ex-husband you know, in 1970, whatever, right? Let's not do that one. You, you see, you see the level? Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. So pick one and hold that in your mind's eye. Pick one. And as you think about that dukkha, as you think about that little taste of dukkha, I want you to notice what is happening in your body. Take a moment to find where it, where it lives in your body. Maybe it's in your solar plexus or the back of your neck, your belly, shoulders, find it in your body. And now here's the play along, play along, play along. See if it has heat or cold. Is it a hot sensation, cold? Does it have a temperature? Does it have a temperature? Is it a moving sensation or a still sensation? Is it heavy? or is it light? And you don't have to be perfect or exact, just notice, notice, notice. And now as you notice how it feels in your body, see if you can bring acceptance, curiosity, warmth, caring, welcoming, that's called equanimity. See if you can bring 
a mindset of kindness, caring, and openness, allowing the sensation just to be where it is. I am bringing equanimity here. I'm going to allow this sensation, this dukkha, this stress to be just as it is. Just like that. Maybe you could use the words allow, 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 or welcome, 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 or it's here, here already, it's already here, it's already here. Give it 30 seconds, usually. All right, so maybe not 30 seconds, but for the sake of the talk, you can open your eyes. And this would be um, a micro practice of dukkha equanimity. Something to remember, you know, go home, put it in your notebook or on your refrigerator, the mirror somewhere, you know, dukkha equanimity, dukkha micro practice. Oh, dukkha, oh, I can, drop the story of myself, go into the body, and then bring in that quality of equanimity. Yeah. And see what happens, what wisdom happens. You know, it could just be uh, drivers in Long Beach were not put on the planet to make me happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm gonna end the talk by doing some lines from um, Joni Mitchell. I'm back in that era, you know. Um, they're just calling me back, Leonard Cohen and Joni Mitchell. Um, and if you're a young person, forgive us. <laughs> right. Uh, when she says, um, I look at life from both sides now. I look at life from both sides now. I see my dukkha from both sides now, from win and lose. I win sometimes, I lose, and still somehow, it's life's illusions I recall. I really don't know life at all. Don't know mind, don't know, don't know, I let go and I don't know. Yeah. So I will end here and um, please share what this micro um, practice was like for you or your experience of the noble truths or dukkha and consider this generosity. Um, so when you share your sharing to help your your teammates awaken, <laughs> right? So when you're really sharing, it's generosity for the group. And um, you, if you're online, you can do your hand, the reactions, and if you're in the room, you can just raise your hand and talk. Okay. Yes. Can you all hear me? Okay. Hi. Oh, that was a wonderful talk. Thank you, Wendy. So uh, my, uh, the dukkha that I uh, went to happened uh, maybe the night before and uh, my husband's had a few strokes and so I'm a caretaker and that's been a big challenge. And uh, I was very tired and I, I had asked him, do you need anything before I go to bed? And he said, no, I have everything. And then I got into bed and I was just dreaming of a good night's sleep. And then he said, oh, I really need some water. And so like part of me was kind of pissed off. Why did you, why, I mean, why, I just asked you a few moments ago, you know, what you needed, because I told her I was so tired. But then I 
really was able, and this is what I try so hard to do because this is my life now, to go to the uh, feeling that uh, he didn't mean to hurt me. He didn't mean to inconvenience me. It's just like his brain isn't always working in, in as thoughtful ways it used to work. And that uh, I am, I can get up, you know, it was gonna just inconvenience me for, for a moment. And uh, I'm not the one who had the stroke. I'm still able-bodied, I can get around, I can do what I wanna do. And so I just, that, that was very helpful for me to, to help do that. And I have to do it very often. I have to do it very often because it's just how, how my life is unfolded now. So I think I think of things as a little ducus and big ducus. So like getting him getting out of bed to get in the water, that was a very, very little duke. You know, a big duke might be when uh, uh, I heard that uh, a friend of mine committed suicide this week. So that's a really mighty big duke. So I, I have been able to encourage myself to look at things in a, in a level of proportionality to little sufferings and big sufferings. For sharing, thank Welcome. you. I'd like to share a dukkha that is not even my dukkha. Uh, I was sitting for a week-long retreat um, at this Korean Zen place and uh, the Zen master, Bobby Rhodes, uh, She's the head of the Chiyogi lineage. She's enlightened. Just her enlightenment has been, you know, certified by numerous uh, Zen masters. And she confessed during this retreat that she experienced dukkha herself. Uh, here she is, you know, enlightened Zen master. A student approaches and then asks another student uh, to explain something about meditation and she's saying to herself what am i chopped liver <laughs> so even after you realize that this self is an illusion uh the just being human um uh, brings this dukkha back so i think it's very important that we have a uh, technique to deal with the fact that we're human and things often don't go the way we'd like them to and where were you sitting? Is this the, the person who's in? Um... This was the Dharma uh, Zen Center in uh, down, well, it, uh, I can't remember the name of the street, but it's in Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. Okay. Yeah. yeah. This, this isn't LA Zen Center. This is a different Zen Center. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of the teacher. Um, I think she's in Washington near Seattle, but we'll talk about that different time. Yeah, she she just comes down to visit. Oh, it is that one. She's yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, she is. She's great. All right. So you know, we always have those of us who are on the path. We can get a very um, strong spiritual super ego in there, so that when you do you you know you're struggling with your practice right there's that little critic in there that goes i thought you were a meditator <laughs> <laughs> thought you were a buddhist <laughs> you know and then, right. so. yes i guess um what's coming through for me is you know the the uh the duke doesn't always have to be personal doesn't have to be something that you um Personally associate with or personalize mm -hmm. yourself can be just uh, you know personal moment. That too is oddly relatable. Hmm. Yes. 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 Wendy, could you reiterate what that person shared? I don't think that we could hear. I mean, I can, I'll speak for myself. I'm unable to really hear. Okay, but. you want to come over here and say that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's so good to see you anyway. I wonder so, if having a handheld mic might be. Okay, do you want to come stand here or do you want oh, me to repeat? Not. I don't know. Why don't you go ahead and Okay, I can repeat. And yeah, you know, very well said that um, the dukkha isn't always 
the dukkha hitting us, but what the dukkha is around us, that if you're in Long Beach, the homeless uh, or the unhoused, the suffering that is just, it's just unbearable sometimes that it doesn't even get fixed. I could feel my stomach tightening around it and everything, you know, um, or the state of the political world life of our country. You know, this is a dukkha that is not one where I can't get in the left lane, but it's still a dukkha that is, in a way it is personal because we're taking it in, it becomes an object, but it is another way that the life gets into be with this suffering as it is and to be with it and to find those sea legs, that equanimity, because the truth is to do anything about it, you need your sea legs, you need your equanimity. We can't do it from a place of reactivity. I've tried, does not work, um, right? So we need that equanimity. We need that light to come in. We need to be with that crack in the, you know? So, yeah. So, yeah, with things like with there are certain outcomes about things that are you know going on in our country today. Mm -hmm. um, people, you know, everyone has feelings. Not everyone. Many people have feelings about what's happening. And I think that for me, when I look at something and I feel like, oh, I'm happy about that outcome, I also want to be hitting that happiness with equanimity, because there, are, for me, where I'm being happy about something, there's someone who's equally unhappy. And so I might want to share with a friend like oh, that I'm happy about something, but I want to don't I don't want to go over the top with it. The celebration of like, oh, I'm so happy about how this thing has happened uh, for a lot of reasons. But one, because there are, again, there are people who are equally unhappy and because it's going to change. So today I might be happy about this thing. And, you know, maybe there was a time where I wasn't unhappy about this thing and there'll be a time again in the future. So that's where I feel it's really important to keep that thank you well said again yeah did you all hear that so 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 some of you are saying yes some of you are saying no that you know even if you're happy with the political outcome to remember that there are people who are unhappy and that it's also subject to change so i think what margaret is really speaking to is the impermanent nature of your happy state, <laughs> right? They're really grasping the impermanence of it. I could already hear a voice in my head that said, I don't want to, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. To really know the uh, impermanent nature of pleasant and unpleasant. Yeah, so I had one where um, yesterday, I think I caused Duca for somebody else. You know, I happen to go to Costco to get gas and I noticed that somebody's pulling out of the air station where you fill up your tire and I was like, oh, how convenient. And I pulled right in. So I get out and I hear somebody honking. I didn't think much of it. You know, it's Costco. And I'm pumping the air in the tires and the lady gets out of the car and said, you took, I was waiting in line. And I realized that I had cut in front of her. I, I didn't see her waiting in line. She was like, you know, behind the thing. And obviously called the Duke because she was really upset, you know, and she was I was almost done. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. It's gonna be five minutes. I'm, I'm gonna. I'll be out of here. Just two more tires. But that really ate away at me for some reason. It bothered me that I caused her so much dukkha. Because obviously, I mean, she didn't know. She probably thought that he saw me clearly waiting, and he just was a weak person that just cut right in front of me. So for like half the day, I was just thinking about this. You know, I don't know the solution for it, but it did kind of bother me because if that happened to me, you know, that would bother me, and obviously it bothered her. That's kind of like, I don't know if the solution is to that, but I felt bad that I caused Duca for somebody else. Well, you know, um, how are you with hearing that? You were good? No. Yes and no. <laughs> so what is it that we do when we cause Duca? Um, where do we go with that? Because we will cause it because we're, we're an object of friction for everyone else. You know, it's just a matter of time that we cause the dukkha. Um, but I mean, the first thing is so I'm so grateful that you uh, care about causing dukkha, right? Because that's that's the first wonderful thing that we want to 
our hearts are so open that we care um, and that we feel, right? And, and that it means something to us. That's good. So we're not moving in the direction of sociopathy you know, in a good society, right? It's a good thing. Yay. And then, you know, the next thing is that um, we can always offer our forgiveness for the harm that we have caused. And if we lived in the monastery as a ritual every day, the monks and the nuns at the end of the day, um, they offer their forgiveness to their uh, brothers and sisters for the harms seen and unseen, known and unknown that they have harmed because we are friction. We're going to bump into people and we're gonna say things or do things or not do things, right? So at the end of the day, we offer our forgiveness. And this is the way to uh, work with this beautiful compassion for all suffering, our own and others, you know, to really live from the heart. Um, one of my uh, cousins is working on a belt in Aikido, you know, and when you get your higher end belts, they don't just tell you about flipping people which they're always flipping people in that. I, I don't go, I never, I stay at the window, wave at them because I don't want to be flipped. But uh, the master uh, says your higher level belts is about keeping your heart open at all times. When you are having a, a, a fight with, or you know, a flipping exercise or whatever they do, a tournament, a tournament, <laughs> your heart is open to your opponent right your heart stays open to all your anybody who comes at you that is the part of getting that belt and um she said to me um well it's easy for her to say if my heart is open i have to cry on the mat a lot <laughs> right i cry because when my heart is open i feel the pain of others the pain i've caused and the pain that is just around me and so if they want me to practice the keto with an open part heart they have to let me cry on the mat you know and yeah we're open to the cries of the world our own you know and others and we're open yeah. who hasn't shared yet it's fun to hear all of you it really is yes wondering if um, anyone's figured out sort of tricks. So I, I, I think I'm pretty detached from feeling it in, in my body. When I, but whenever I try to look for it, because I have actually cried, um, I get confused because I'm always like, I have a stomach ache, probably because I want to eat a lot more than I let myself. So it's like hungry or, or acidity or something. Is there, but I do, like today I was really focusing and I could feel like a contraction my throat when I thought about my casserole that I just can't finish. Um, but is, is there like a, a difference between the physical, you know, like a, a cramp, my joint wants to stop, versus the, the, the feeling that we're trying to be aware of before it overtakes us, letting us know that we're stressed or we're about to react. You know, I always look for that sacred pause, like you're supposed to feel it in your body before you yell at the kid. Or something. And I haven't really been able to do that. And, and when I do look for feelings, it's like a sense of hungry stomach health. Yeah. Anybody have a experience like that or anything they want to add? Yeah. So our very patient Zoom folks, let's let's um, get them in the <laughs> let's lasso around. We're talking about how when we're going through our day and Shannon just said, you know, you're busy, you don't have, sometimes it doesn't feel like you have time to feel the dukkha and to feel it in the body, particularly these sensations in the body, right? And Ryan, you were saying, take it, break it down, if I heard you correctly and take it in small pieces. Um, so I think this is where our dialogue is right now. What happens in a busy day when you're got, all stress and pressure you're doing multiple tasking and it's hard to sense that dukkha is a sensation in the body and stay with it what what to do 
And I'm sure a lot of us, I've experienced that, particularly when I was working in a very stressful psychiatry clinic, you know, when 80 things are coming at you, uh, how do you do it? And um, I would say that here's where we want to bring energy and faith, these elements into the practice, bringing energy and faith that uh, that as you you talked about that pause that I know um, when I was working in a stressful environment, I had to stop and do walking meditation. There was a quiet hallway and that was my saving place. That was my, you know, my place to go. And I would walk quietly and walking meditation to allow everything to settle and to sense and feel in, but I had to take time out in the day to do that. Uh, to really, you know, drop it and get back in the body. I kind of like short body scans for practice. Uh, and I, I, I go to um, the great monastery called YouTube. Uh, you know, it's easy to get there. And I put in um, Sometimes I'll just put in body scan 10 minutes, eight minutes, seven minutes, five minutes, 15 minutes, right? And uh, do a body scan regularly helps us remember to go into the body. If you're doing a little body scans here and there, you, your brain remembers to feel and sense your body uh, a little bit more. And I think in a stressful world, all, all of us as meditators, like we all want to leave our body. We want to go into aware of awareness. We want to go out there and lose our mind and feel that non-dual oneness. And, you know, we, we're just out, out, out. We're with the sky, sky meditation, sky, I'm out, you know, and uh, we've left the body. We need to go in. You know, and down there, you you know, I want to say, knock, knock, uh, hold off on your aware of awareness and get back in the body uh, where it's happening, uh, you know, too. Uh, so anyway. Um, I would just, in the situation, my suggestion is self-compassion. A lot of self-compassion. Um, find that, say, you've already passed that threshold, you kind of broke per se, or you've raised your voice, you've yelled, your dishes aren't done, you're just, you know, be honest with yourself, you know, you've, you've already passed that, and be okay to kind of calm down right then, and I've noticed in my practice, I've been just talking to my kids, I'll get like to a point, and I'll just in the midpoint, like, well, this isn't where I want to be, and there's no need to continue, so right then in the moment, oh, I'm sorry, uh, you know, just be honest with yourself and others, I feel with your family and friends, you can kind of explore that, but I think just being honest with that, I think sometimes we get to a point where we pass the threshold and kind of keep going. For me, it's like this egoic, well, I gotta win now, or <laughs> trains on the tracks, keep it moving, gotta get to destination, but it's like, no, we can ultimately, like, you know, the train, the, the you know, like Tara Brock says, I step off the train, it's like, oh, let the train go, we can walk off right now, and I do that with my sons a lot, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't even yell, it's fucking just being honest with that and yourself, I think that that's where the compassion really comes in. And in that moment, like after you've broken it, if you have broken it, you're like, oh, that's okay, we passed that. And you know, allow yourself that opportunity. Because for me, it's a how many years of programming do we are we trying to battle? You know, mm -hmm. so it's that that ease of allowing. Yeah. So we're talking about practicing compassion. Compassion for where you are. Yeah. Just compassion that you're human. And um, hey, if you're in a stressful environment, guess what? You're not a robot. I've been watching a lot of sci-fi with robots because I sometimes envy them. You know, right? You're not a robot. You got wired for lots of stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in self-compassion, um, one of the the parts of it is that we say hearts open and hearts close they're not open all the time there's movement and present moment awareness beingness without a narrative you know it's 
the next skillful action arises. You know, when we're not busy chatting and thinking and creating selves, we really can fall into that place of wisdom where the next skillful thing arises. In an, consciousness is an effortless way. Sometimes it's effortful, but you're, you know the next skillful thing. And we, we really begin to learn as practitioners that thinking is not necessary uh, to doing. That doing happens from a skillful, wise place uh, when we're really present and in the truth and here. Here. You know, whatever that here is. Uh, and it may be defending yourself in a, you know, in a, whatever. But uh, that moment that we're here in truth and we're really here reveals itself without our story making. It just reveals itself and we go with it. And that's what they talk about flow. I love that flow thing, right? That sounds so good. But, you know, right, I'm here. Next thing. Next thing. So we're at the end of the sit. I've really had a lot of fun with you guys. I mean, so much fun. So much fun. I almost said you guys, but I stopped because my friend um, was doing um, a group on Zoom like this, and the computer corrected her about you, you can't, it wasn't okay to say that anymore because, it, you know, we are, we're changing our way we speak. And so the computer screen jumped up and told her to change her words. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know. It's not, yes, you, everyone. So, yes. And, um, yeah, the screen corrected her, so she's correcting me and then learning. Okay, so we want to dedicate the merit, and I'm looking at Dawn in Zoom. And um, would you like to do that? for our group today? I will do that. I have a hair dryer going in the background, but oh well. Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, so just like you and just like me, all beings long to be happy and free from suffering. And so may any goodness and connection that we have realized your glimpse this morning in our practice and our togetherness may it spread out to benefit all beings no exceptions may we all have happiness within and the causes of happiness within may we all be free from suffering and its causes and may we all never be separated from true happiness genuine well-being free from delusion we all live in equanimity without attachment or aversion. And they all live knowing the equality of all that lives. Thank you for your practice. Thank you, everyone. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.